also the camera is right where Bender's at. <laughs> okay, oh. if you want to so make sure it. my my ping pong ball is facing it at all times. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> am I backwards or am I forwards? You'll never know. <laughs> the answer is yes. I'm watching the video right now. <laughs> That's yeah. right. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> my hands over here. Hello, everyone. Welcome to VR Verdict Podcast, episode 113. I am PJ. Wookie. And we're here talking to Don Carson from Walkabout, from the Walkabout game. But um, I always space your guys' company name. Why uh, do I do Mighty that? Coconut. That's it. Yes. <laughs> How can you forget that, PJ? I, I don't know. Come on. <laughs> Um, so, Don, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your role there and what you do and, and how that's working out for you? Uh, you bet. Mighty Coconut is a, a small but growing team uh, started um, by Lucas um, Martel, who uh, started on his own to create Walkabout Miniature Golf, and uh, it's become really quite a popular uh, quest title. And I think a lot of that is certainly sort of rock solid. Uh, physics, but I think more than anything, a lot of our compliments we get from players is, you know, I, I reconnected with my dad, or during yeah. COVID, my 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 siblings and I every week would play miniature golf, and I think we just sort of hit a perfect product for the hardware and the time that we're in. Uh, my job title is senior art director. The senior part really is mainly because of my my age, I have a great beard <laughs> you can't see uh, more than anything. And we're much more of an ensemble, uh, uh, unlike any place I've ever worked before. Uh, pretty much everybody has a say and everybody has uh, their hands in on every one of the courses we work on. And everything that leaves me and is handed to somebody else comes back better no matter who has touched it. So it's really a, a joy to be able to work with this this small team. Uh, we're all working remotely. Uh, the most most of the coconuts are in Austin, but <laughs> that we have far flung uh, team members. We have Edward, who's in Australia. I am in Oregon, and we have folks in the East Coast as well. Um, but it, it's a a really really uh, a kind of a dream position right now, and I sort of pinch myself every day for getting <laughs> to work on these courses. <clears throat> nice. Yeah, you guys are like you said. The game is like it runs solid. It's smooth. It's enjoyable. But the standout recently is all your extra content, like your extra courses you've been putting out. Um, they're just killing it. Like the Don Quixote one was just so amazing. Is the first one to come out, and the last one, um, I'm gonna space the That's name sweet, on it. It's Sweetopia. It's, Sweetopia is literally like when I stepped into it, I'm like. I'm in the chocolate factory in Willy Wonka. Like what the hell? Yes. Yes. <laughs> so epic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they're, and amazingly they're getting better because, you know, we're, we're currently working on multiple uh, projects uh, throughout for, for, to be released during the year of one of the IP projects we've announced is the labyrinth with the Jim Henson company. And <laughs> uh, I can say it's looking really good. We and I think yeah. that probably the secret is um, I've worked for lots of big corporate corporations that do big IP projects, and a big corporation is usually tied to the sort of the spreadsheet decision making as far as which IP is used, and we're kind of going after IPs that just 
we as geeks would just love to do. And <laughs> That's um, awesome. And while someone like Disney or Universal can't necessarily rationalize spending, you know, four hundred million dollars on a thirty-five-year-old, uh, you know, <laughs> Jim Henson, Brian Froud project, we absolutely can, and uh, and we just are pouring all of our love for that franchise and that movie into this particular course. So I'm excited about it coming out. Yeah, I I can't imagine just from what I saw. From my perspective, like the reaction to that announcement was huge. So I'm, I'm sure you guys see even more than that, but like that yeah, came out it, of nowhere. So how did you land on the Labyrinth as like the first big IP one? Well, it, it, we have a wish list of all the things we'd equally <laughs> nice. love to work on. It was near the top and um, we have a, a wonderful marketing team that went out and sort of knocked on doors. And so far, many of the people we've talked to have just sort of given us a hard yes. I mean, the between the sort of the love of our product, and I think also because we have a firm foothold in VR and a lot of companies and IPs really want to get their feet into it but don't know how to start, Miniature Golf seems to be a nice, friendly first step. And, sure. um, and hopefully the quality of our sort of, low, you know, obviously low poly uh, design work allows for us to do sort of a the miniature garf gar, miniature golf park interpretation of whatever their IP is. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. It's kind of a, a familiar thing that everyone can wrap their head around because a lot of VR stuff, people would just it goes right over the top of their head. So it's probably like you said, a nice entry point. Yes. Yeah. Well, and. The reason I have the job I do now is that I actually wrote uh, Marcus, I mean Lucas, a, a fan letter um, uh, during COVID. Um, some Exum engineer friends and I stayed connected by playing miniature golf a couple times a week, and awesome. every time we played, we just thought this is so well done. You know, we sh we really mm. should write them a fan letter. And finally, when um, Bogey's Bonanza came out. I said, I got to do it. So I wrote him a letter and just said, <laughs> whatever you guys are doing, you're doing it right. You really knocked it out of the park. And I don't know if you know this, but you're following a lot of the rules we use in the theme park business as far as how to tell stories with environments that aren't necessarily linear stories like Once Upon a Time, but evoke a sense that something's been going on that enhances your experience. And uh, at the end, uh, I was invited as a brown bag you know, speaker to the the small Lenny Coconut team, and at the end, I I said to Lucas, you know, if you're ever hiring any for you know artists, I'm interested. And he said, well, that's funny you should mention it because we're actually <laughs> looking for a concept person. So, at last wow. September, I became a coconut. Nice. So, what was one of the first courses you had a hand in then? Um. The, the deep dive uh, course that I'm working a lot on is, is Labyrinth. Um, the courses that are out right now, I've dabbled a little bit in, but they were well established okay. uh, uh, before I arrived. Certainly, uh, Coyote Valley and um, uh, Shangri-La and Sweetopia were well underway. Um, I did get a chance to do concepts for a lot of sort of little storytelling elements that are sprinkled around. Um, but... It, it's so blurry as to who's in charge of what and who did what. Uh, it's it's really nice to sort of have a lot of pride in the work of your coworkers, just because you're in so in love with the finished product 
that who authored it is not as important that we authored it. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, sounds like an awesome team to be on. Yeah, yeah. it is. I'm. I really, really. I, I. I'm really lucky, and I've been doing this kind of work, not game work, but just sort of environmental design work for almost forty years. So, I yeah. feel <laughs> blessed that I'm in this small little team working on these really, really nice projects that seem to be well, well received by our our audience. Yeah. So I have questions on your back ground and backstory but before we get to that um uh david the guy that introduced us that you know i i think i don't know what part of the team he's on but he's the yeah, first he's person our marketing I guru to. awesome yeah yeah he he definitely wanted me to ask you how theme park design correlates into um like mini golf design and course design <laughs> well that was what i noticed with the bogey's bonanza is that um uh, I worked for uh, six years as a senior show designer at Walt Disney Imagineering and was responsible for a bunch of the, 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 the rides that were produced during the Disney decade. And um, <laughs> about that same time, the game Mist came out. And, uh, and I thought, wow, this is, this is a video. This is basically a theme park attraction on my computer, except instead of it taking 15 minutes to get through, it's like 40 hours of time. And I filled a, you know, sketchbook full of notes and diagrams and stuff to get my way through it. And to me, it seemed really obvious that the design principles that we use in the theme park business for telling a story in a ride um, were potentially usable in, uh, in a video game environment. And that was back in like 1995. 1994 and it took like 25 years before the technology <laughs> kind of arrived where uh we could potentially design the equivalent of a theme park ride inside uh, the computer but also share that experience like we do when we go to a theme park sitting next to each other having this experience together and so my fan letter to uh lucas and the team was I noticed you're doing this, do more of it. Um, <laughs> uh, if you look at uh, Shangri-La, Shangri-La's easy courses during the daytime, and it's yeah. not important to your experience, but what's happening is there, everybody's getting ready for a lantern festival. So there are mooncakes being prepared. There's like tea sort of spread around. There's musical instruments. There's actually paper lanterns being constructed utterly non uh, it's not important to your experience as a mini golf player but then when you go to the hardma which is at night at night this celebration is kind of happening and those lanterns have been released which are sort of the iconic beautiful yeah. sort of statement in that that area um storytelling in an environment doesn't have to be hit you over the head oh i figured who all the main plot point characters were and stuff it can just be the sense that that someone has been here, or I've just missed an activity. Um, yeah. uh, Bogies does that really nice, nicely <clears throat> with the sort of placement of the bottles, the can of beans, the, the, <laughs> the frying pan, and the knocked over furniture. And so if I have a role at Mighty Coconut, it's if there is an opportunity to sort of add that little bit of extra spice to an environment, um, that's what I bring to it, hopefully. I I love that I because, love that, yeah. yeah, this is the perfect game for that because 
for anyone who hasn't played it, you can play four to five people at a time. You know, it's just like real life. You're waiting for one person to take their swing. And so you guys have done an awesome job by a, there's a ball on every hole to find. So you can kind of, while mm -hmm. you're waiting for other people, you can find that there's like a Easter egg hunt on every map. Um, but like what you're saying with the storytelling, like you have plenty of time to like look around and, Wookie and I are, are kind of play stuff the same way where we really just like check out every corner and nook and cranny and have noticed, yeah, like, a lot, lot of what you're saying. My turn. <laughs> yeah. I would just be walking around. Like, Ooh. It's just the, yeah, the perfect combo because you have, like I said, you're waiting for four other people to swing. You have time to go look at these things and, and kind of develop the story in your head of what you're seeing and what happens. And it's really neat. Exactly. Um, it, but even in like in um, Sweetopia, there's a a little uh, like a growing patch where um, candy corns are being grown <laughs> and harvested in a little in a wheelbarrow made out of chocolate bars. Uh, that's not important to anybody's existence, but it does add this sort of layer of storytelling that doesn't necessitate you knowing who the farmer is or that anybody participated in that at all. Um, another surprise that happened with that level was Edward, who is uh, sort of a brilliant modeler and also a blender's guru. Uh, he often is one of the last people to touch the model before it heads into Unity, and then all that sort of magical pixie dust happens, all the lighting <laughs> and all that. And uh, he, on a lark, placed a skeleton way, way, way at the base of this, this sort of very deep candy factory. And uh, and we just sort of went, oh, that's that's interesting, <laughs> and it just sort of stayed there. It, there was no huge story behind it. It was just he put it there. It was kind of funny, but that actually became quite huge with our players uh, at this sort of dark humor of you know someplace as wonderful as this could potentially have the body of an OSHA you know inspector <laughs> at the base oh, of the sure. factory. <laughs> um, but I think that's the kind of power that uh, the placement of objects in an environment has to to deepening your relationship with it, which also plays into the fact that you're getting to play a game together with, you know, loved ones, friends, or even strangers. Yeah. And like, kind of like your story, like, and before we started, you asked if Wookie and I lived in the same region, which we don't. We've yeah. said this a lot on the podcast, but the power of VR is to bring people together. Like, like we've played online games forever because Wookiee's been down south for about 20 years or so. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, we went from hanging out every day of our life to, oh, I haven't seen Wookiee for five years. So as good as online games are, VR is just like, you, like he's right there mm -hmm. to me right now. Like, yeah. It's just, yeah. it's so epic. And your game, it's, it really does VR a good job of it. Yeah, VR takes it to another step because, like, it, before we really hung out in VR, it was kind of like you know, Halo or Call of Duty, where I'm trying to throw a knife at him. And shoot <laughs> right. Him. And now, most of the time, it's chatting. like co-op. Yeah, it's like <laughs> yeah. You, you start, well, you, you stop talking, and then you like shoot him, and then you you think you're talking back up. Like, okay, I'm done thinking, but uh, but it does well, help. that's uh, almost all of our interactions are virtual. I've only met two of the coconuts personally. Um, and Edward lives in Australia, and we have our weekly team meetings in uh, Horizon workrooms. And I sit elbow to elbow with Edward, and <laughs> we have, you know, we know each other really quite well, even though we've never physically met each other. 
That's crazy. Hmm. Online so, friendship. yeah. <laughs> Are you going to say anything, Okay, Sorry. I just said online friendship. It's kind of, you know. Yeah. No. It's weird. You get to know them really well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's um, true. So, the, whoever does your walkabout uh, Twitter page is awesome, by the way. Um, <laughs> they, re David. they react and respond. Oh, my God. It's so funny, all the stuff he does on there. But um, mm -hmm. I play walkabout with another podcast, uh, Let's Talk Oculus Guys, a lot. Uh -huh. And just a little story for you. This rock right here is in the um, Garden <laughs> of Babylon course. Uh -huh. I don't remember the whole number, but it's it's I think perfect. it's number nine. It's the, so you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, oh, I, know, I know that rock. You, we, one of us just like, oh, look at that rock. We hit it and it worked perfectly. I think someone got a hole in one and it became ramp rock and it became this thing. So now on their podcast, they have that exact poster and they just gave it to us. So it was perfect. This is the first episode we have. Yeah, it just like we built our own story because so much has spawned off of that jokingly and, and behind the scenes. It's just, it's funny. So I just thought I'd share that with you. It's pretty cool. But yeah. Well, and my friends, when we play, all of us are really bad at miniature golf. Uh, you'd think <laughs> I would be better at it. Um, but it's, it's, our score is so, has so little to do with the reasons we get together. Yep. Uh, and the, the game is what, uh, is, is the excuse. Um, but often we will pick which, what course we play based upon our mood. So if it's especially hot, we do, uh, seagull stacks um, hard because it's snowing there. Or if we just want to <laughs> chill out, we'll go to um, tourist trap at night just because that that tropical breeze that is not existent yeah. uh, <laughs> cools you down. Yeah. <laughs> Has an so I just oh, just one thing. <clears throat> My favorite part about most games, the thing that draws me to games is the environment. So the I I bought walkabout mini golf but i haven't actually gotten to play it yet so i kind of want to after this i really do want to jump in but it's like oh, just to please hear the do you, yeah you, you put like all those details in there like like i said before like i'm a guy I, pj and i will both just walk around and stuff like um the storytelling yeah. you can do in environments is just crazy like there's um ubisoft games called like the division the first one you're in like snowy new york collapses civilization all that stuff but like the amount of things you see that just tell a story about like you have no idea who they were but like you just see like you know cross like you know like a, a cross of somebody's like loved one or like a stuffed animal by all these photos and it's mm -hmm. just like you just sit there and you just kind of like a little uh little bit of backstory or something explodes in your brain because you're trying to figure out you know you just can't help it you're like who were these people so yeah i just love well, the we're all detectives to a certain extent. Uh, and I think right. probably part of that comes from survival mechanism. You know, you want to go out <laughs> and hunt mastodons. You want to make sure nothing's going to jump out at you. So you're constantly looking in your physical environment for clues to tell you, is it safe? Mm -hmm. What's going on here? What can I do? How do I relate to it? And because we have that built into us, coming into a VR environment gives us that playground or give us as designers a way to play with the fact that people innately are already looking for meaning. And so mm -hmm. we just suggest meaning, <laughs> but we don't yeah. necessarily, you know, cross all the T's and dot all, dot all the I's. We just, we say, Hey, in this world of candy, uh, candy corn grows out of the ground. Of course it does. 
think um, it's, oh, you know, oh, oh, I see. It's the first thing that should come to your mind. It's right, a exactly. A, a s'more. Um, a lot of games, I think, like, you know, again, flat screen gaming and stuff is, they just, there's too much of a HUD, there's too much of a mini map, and all you're doing is following checkpoints, and it's like, you don't ever need an environment, but I think that's making everybody so boring and dumb. I think it's actually hurting our <laughs> intelligence, because we're not using our spatial reasoning or whatever you would call mm -hmm. it so thankfully people in vr you you know it's harder to make a hud in vr just, it just don't work so you just yeah you gotta figure it out yeah that's fun agreed well and i think that uh, one of the sort of special things about this particular product is that you've got the theme park world on one side which is uh, has demands of safety and cost and uh um that uh, bringing f people physically through an attraction where they don't die um, or <laughs> that doesn't cost many billions of dollars um, means that a very specific uh, product has to be created. And, and architecture in the other, in one corner is much similar, except it has certain rules that come from the architectural world. And then you have the gaming world and the gaming world is often, um, it may or may not know it, but it is actually beholden to the way it's always been done, you know, the, yeah. we, the expectations of the player is that I'm going to make mm -hmm. achievements and I'm going to have these kind of buttons and this kind of, I'm going to strafe this way. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the design is based upon expectations of what the game uh, players have for how they're going to interact. And so we kind of get that out of the way really quickly because you show up, there's a there's a little golf shack, you pick a ball, <laughs> you pick a putter, and then even grandpa can figure out in about two swings how to make the mechanics work, and then you're kind of done. You just have 18 holes to get through, and you have a, a wonderful conversation about the weather and what they're <laughs> up to and how they're feeling and how badly they're playing. Um, <laughs> we, we kind of skirt around the architecture, the theme park needs, and the game demands. But And what, what that leaves us is how do we make this a pleasant place to be in? And then also in a very tongue-in-cheek way, how do we create the miniature golf version of it? Um, I think one of the reasons why the IPs that we talk to are so friendly to the idea of doing a product uh, in collaboration is that there's not a lot of seriousness. You know, it's just, you know, the labyrinth version of a miniature golf park is a very different endeavor than making a film yeah. or some other thing. It is allowed to be playful and fun and it can do fan service, but it's fan service yeah. is the, we're serving ourselves as fans. We, you know, we're making the choices we're making because we love the IP. We love this place. We want to go there. And oh, by the way, we also get to play miniature golf. <laughs> That's awesome. awesome. <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned your background of 40 plus years or so. Um, you want to walk us through a little bit of that? I have some very specific questions. I've been, um, honestly, I've been looking at your website and your blog and all that, finding all kinds of crazy things. So, um, <laughs> very I'll jump in. Okay. <laughs> well, my, so my background, I'll just squeeze 40 years really quickly. Uh, I was, I was that kid who drew all the time and, and the drawings were escape. You know, when Star Wars came out, 1977, I would go home and draw it. And drawing it wasn't just, it was fun to draw, but it was an opportunity for me to inhabit the world of Star Wars or whatever I was drawing. And I was actually thinking about, you know, what is that sort of thing that triggers 
you wanting to do a career, you know, for the rest of your life. And I remember when I was about nine, I found some old slides that my dad had. And my dad was the display director for Macy's, which is a West Coast, a big department store. They have one in New York as well. And um, before that, he was the he was the display person for Hinks, which was a small local department store in Oakland, California. And there was a picture of what looked like an ice cavern on a slide, really dark, but it was definitely an ice cavern. And I asked him about it, and he said, "Oh, I used to be responsible for for designing the Santa Meet Santa exhibit or display at Hinks." every Christmas. And the line was so long, we had to have him stand in something other than just the underwear section. So um, <laughs> every time we got a shipment box, I would cut the corner of each cardboard box and I would stack these points up in the corner of the, the studio. And then at Christmas time, he would take it with a staple gun, he would staple these points all over the walls and the ceiling. He'd cover it with aluminum foil, put twinkle lights in it and turn the lights out. And it made this incredible sort of ice cavern that nice. I could only dimly see in the slide. And to me, the idea that someone could have a job where they took cardboard boxes and transported <laughs> people into the North Pole was what I wanted to do for a living. Um, <laughs> I went and became an illustration major because it was the only career I could think of where I could draw for a living. Um, I, I graduated, went into commercial illustration, which I instantly realized I hated more than anything. <laughs> um, working for advertisers was not my happy place. Uh, and I found out about Walt Disney Imagineering because uh, I didn't know that existed. I'd gone to Disneyland many times, but I didn't know that people actually got paid to design that stuff. So that became my sort of, that's my goal. I want to be an Imagineer. <laughs> and, um, uh, that sort of striving for designing place ended get, up giving me getting me the job as the head art director for the Renaissance Pleasure Fairs in California, both nice. northern and southern, where I was taking my illustration skills and applying it to doing designs for a very, very uh, low-budgeted um, recreations of Elizabethan England in the woods. And uh, <laughs> at the end of the 80s, uh, Disney, which was fa is famously hard to get into, was having a huge hiring spree uh, to gear up for what was called the Disney Decade. And uh, I got swooped in with the combination of an illustrator portfolio and all this environmental design experience I was having at the Renaissance Fair. And the very first project they gave me was to design the, the Splash Mountain for uh, Walt Disney World. And when I was given to it, I was like, oh, I get to do the third of something. Because already there was one at Disneyland and Tokyo's was well underway. <laughs> um, but it turned out to be the perfect project because it was so unheralded as far as dream projects Imagineers get to work on. I pretty much got to do everything. And um, the flume width had changed. So it changed the width of all the scenes. So the, the entire attraction needed to be redesigned, which I got to do. At, at the wow. green age of like 27. Um, and I stayed there for six years before my son was born. And then um, I asked the powers that be, would you still use me if I wasn't living in Los Angeles? And they assured me that would not have never happen. Um, so I looked at the gaming industry as another place to sort of apply my theme park, my placemaking skills. And uh, I worked at Dynamics in Eugene, Oregon, um, on a variety of projects. They were owned by um, 
Sierra Online at the time. And then I was there for about a year. And then Disney called back and said, all right, we'll use you, even if you're not living in Los Angeles. And um, so then I did this sort of weird hybrid career of designing theme parks uh, and video games, always with an eye on this idea that one day the sort of theme park storytelling abilities would be pliable to uh, video games. Um, I worked as the art director for there.com, which was a, a, um, uh, a competitor of um, Second Life, um, Second Life One. And then eventually IMVU, which was created by the founder of there left and created basically a, an online massive multiplayer chat environment and got to apply some of these theme park ideas and then went back to the theme park world at the Hedema Group where I worked on many DreamWorks projects and Universal projects. And then nice. finally, I've ended up um, here at my, my, the, the job I was meant to do, which is <laughs> miniature <laughs> golf courses uh, with sort of the design philosophy of a, a theme park experience. It's so weird that somebody with a... <clears throat> I don't know if the great word, the term crazy is, you know, offensive this, but like it's such a crazy career because it's like, you said esoteric earlier, but it's, you know, designing yeah. theme parks, all stuff, and it just all lines up. But like, <clears throat> pardon me, after 40 years of, you know, paving that way for yourself, just now, like when we first started talking, you were like, dream job. Like, yeah. You worked at Disney and all these other things and Sierra <laughs> and things and like, now you're in your dream job. It's like yeah. some of those. Well, they were dream jobs too. Dream job. Well, Disney was definitely Everest. Uh, but once you've, you know, in your early 30s, you've climbed Everest, and then you're all ready to climb another mountain and realize there aren't any <laughs> that are <laughs> nearly as big as that. Um, so, so I've I've always been hungered, hungry for that creating an ice you know, cavern out of cardboard boxes kind of experience that that surprise of being able to be transported to another world through, a des through design choices. And uh, the thing I, I was very valuable about learning illustration was that illustration, illustration taught me that as a, a visual storyteller, the artist can actually manipulate the emotions of the viewer by the choices they make with color, uh, value, perspective, composition. And when I went into the theme park business, it's the same. You know, as you move linearly from one theatrical scene to the next, you're actually being given an opportunity to feel different ways about the places that you're in. And how you feel is a lot, uh, is a lot based upon the movies you've seen, the books you've read, the experiences you've had in your life. And what VR does is it, it tickles that same part of your brain. and um, the context of your experience is as important as the experience. And when that experience is shared, like playing miniature golf, uh, our brains almost can't distinguish in memory um, yeah. that cafe in France or that miniature golf game in Shangri-La as being of lesser value. We, we had an emotional connection um, doesn't mean I don't want to go to France, <laughs> but it means that <laughs> I do get to hang out with my friends in another state whenever I want to and have a really, really good conversation in an environment that we laugh about, that we like being in, that's, that's not taking itself too seriously. And also, I'm not being shot at. 
Yeah. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. I was gonna say you don't have to take a big, you know, smelly air ride and airplane trip to go hang right. out with you that, that is right. getting shot. <laughs> well, in in the theme park business, there's definitely um some fear that oh dear virtual reality is going to take over and that why would we have theme parks virtual reality is never going to be able to trump being able to right. eat a dole whip next to your <laughs> family while riding pirates yeah. of the caribbean never but it does give you an opportunity to connect to them in a way that a zoom call has proven to be poor at <laughs> yeah <laughs> like yeah i have a you know I'm sure a lot of people do, but like I, I bought a projector to play games on and I lucked out and I'm like, oh, this is fantastic. And I got a screen and a surround sound mm -hmm. of the subwoofer and I can watch any movie with, with a really good experience, but it still can't be an experience in a theater when everybody's laughing. Usually they people ruin it or you know, something goes wrong, but like those those four percent of the time where it's like everyone's yep. in the same wavelength and laughing and not throwing popcorn at each other, not talking. You can't, yeah. you can't replace that with anything. So I get yeah. that. Like you can't go stay in a Millennium Falcon hotel or whatever's going on <laughs> in some of those parks now. You can yeah. see it in VR, but it's not like you know, wake up in a spaceship. <laughs> well, and uh, you know, there's a couple times in one's life where you have a moment which really sort of is a pivotal one. And recently my daughter said, hey, let's, let's play around a miniature golf. And I took her to... Uh, Shangri-La hard where we played a terrible round of golf and I said hey if you've got a few minutes I'd like to fly out here to the furthest monastery and just sit on the roof with you and we'll just look back at the at the course which is this beautiful all these night lanterns are floating up and there's the Himalayas behind it and she's known what I've done for a living she's grown up with me doing tons of you know high high-end theme park attraction design and we're sitting there on the roof together at night, looking at this beautiful scene. And she looked over and she said, Dad, I finally get it. <laughs> That's awesome. She said, I, I, you've, been, you've been talking about this for years, about how you really think that there's a way in which these environments could bring people together. And she said, this is why we're, you're doing this. And I said, yes. And now I've got a product where I can just point at it. I just go, yeah. you, know, you know, remember what I've been saying for the last 25 years? that <laughs> go play golf that's really cool yeah that's really neat it's like if you have any tips for other like you know people creating games because it's that's something that like is sorely missing from so many experiences and i just think people just don't have the sensibility i think i have a in tune i can tell what i like but if i start from scratch i don't know that i'd be able to do it i don't know but well you know games let's What's interesting is this, like I've said, it's a lot of it comes from sort of the ghost of Walt gave us permission to think about the way in which we design a place. And a lot of that is what I call um, uh, meet expectations and then exceed them. So uh, if you're going to do a pirate game, you know, you, your audience is going to come in with preconceived ideas of what a pirate experience is and should be. And your job as a designer is to deliver upon that. But once you've delivered upon that, then you can exceed it. Do something bigger. And I think Sweetopia is an example of that. 
you know, I think a lot of people have dreamed and, and produced sort of Candyland-like candy -like experiences, and Willy Wonka too. But I, in a way, and I'm, I'm tooting the horn of the people I work with, the uh, Sweetopia takes it to a whole nother place. Yeah. <laughs> it's a whole nother experience um, because it delivers on expectation and then mm -hmm. exceeds it, you know, uh, by giving not only layers and layers of story, but also there's a dead guy. At the bottom of the factory. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and I'd say that of the games that I have loved that I feel really do a marvelous job of transporting me, sort of the Bioshock series comes to mind, um, yeah. Skyrim comes to mind. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of those are are placing me in a place where it's alien. I'm under the ocean in a you know an Art Deco <laughs> collapsed New York City. And yet, every single thing that I encounter reinforces my fantasy of what that must would be like, and yeah. and exceeds it. Uh, so, if you're making a game with about pirates, and then you find out that the head captain is Santa Claus, well, okay, <laughs> uh, sign me up. <laughs> I want to be a pirate on Santa's pirate ship. That's the kind of thing I'm talking about when you're when you when you you. You build upon expectations, and then once you've done so, exceed them. That's solid advice, because a lot of people, I mean, there's a lot of pirate games out there that they're all kind of bland. It's like, okay, I turn a ship, I shoot. Mm -hmm. It works. Yeah. But I don't think they, you know, they don't turn it on its head and just add something, you know, crazy like so, that. And then have to, you know, then you've got a whole other layer of fun to just kind of put the touch, finishing touches on everything. Right. In Santa style or something. So. Right. Yeah, if, if the crew is all elves and they're all like three feet tall, <laughs> that's a. But yet they're still pirates. Yeah, um, and that, that yeah. immediately opens up so many possibilities. I'm like, what were those elves as like dirty, nasty, scurvy pirates? Yeah. Like, what? Then right. you have like fifty personalities that come to your mind. It's like, and it's you know exactly. they're shooting each other out of the cannons. I mean, yeah, well, of course they are. <laughs> and they're all high on candy canes. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they all got rotten teeth because they don't have toothbrushes and or exactly. oranges. Well, and then. In that case, the, the thing designs itself. I mean, you just, yeah. you, you know, you just sit yeah. back and the ideas sort of tumble out on the table and your job is just to fulfill the, your best version of it that you possibly can. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so that's why so, it's, for me, it's the best mm -hmm. job ever is that I get to do that on a daily basis. You get to take some standard thing and then try to shove something that doesn't fit right where it should go well, miniature golf i mean for goodness yeah. sakes yeah <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna recreate the, the hanging bible but the gardens of babylon oh by the way there's also miniature golf that's the best yeah. <laughs> that's awesome so i have to ask um again like i said i was looking through your your website and all your stuff kind of creeping a little bit but um <laughs> um <laughs> You have these different like rides, and I I couldn't really tell like the the Pumpkin Town uh, ride, right? Especially, is that some part of something, or is that just like a design you did, or is that available to? Because just the video, like normally a video doesn't do VR justice, but you can tell in those videos, like it still looks really epic. Like it's probably like one of the best videos I've seen of like kind of really showing how. VR works. Maybe it's not even VR yet, but that's what it looked like. So I was just curious, like, what's that about? <laughs> so my career has been mostly under 
non-disclosure agreements. So I have mm -hmm. tens of thousands of pieces of art that will never be seen by anybody but my daughter who doesn't care. Um, and, <laughs> and so, um, so COVID happens and I, all of a sudden, what business am I in? I'm in a business designing places where lots of people get together in groups and <laughs> breathe on each other. And so the work <laughs> level kind of went down and I have this very esoteric blog. I've been, I've been waxing on for a decade or more now about really off the wall, very specific theme park design principles. And one of the things I never got a chance to do was I wanted to show people what the, the whole arc of the process would be to create a, um, a theme park ride. And so here I am, I got lots of time. I'm going to do a fake theme park ride and I'm going to document on Facebook and Instagram and YouTube the process. And so uh, my first idea was I was going to do a Game of Thrones ride, and that just was way too big. To, to, so I, I said, well, what if I, you know, when you go to the county fair and you go to those sort of rubber snake, smelly, scary, you know, spook house <laughs> yeah. kind of things that arrive on the back of a semi truck and gets assembled. I thought, what if we did that, but you did something that was kid friendly and like a sort of it's the small world meets Halloween. And so I took as a, as a footprint two semi trucks uh, and put a little dark ride on, the, on it. And I created this ride where you go through a town that is inhabited by pumpkin people. That was it. <laughs> and it was inspired by the German uh, Halloween uh, toys and decorations of the 30s, which are very ins awesome. also inspired by sort of Mickey Mouse and the Fleischer cartoons. It's a very specific time period. And I'm not a huge fan of the gory, scary, pop-up, jump scare part of Halloween, but I really liked this sort of friendly, you know, everybody's, no matter what kind of squash you are, there's lots of, you know, <laughs> acceptance for you in Pumpkin yeah. Town. And so I started by building a foam core model and then I scanned the form car model, and then I built it in SketchUp, and then I used uh, real-time rendering software, uh, Enscape, to just sort of drive around inside my ride of black and white marker sketches. And the idea was I, I was just, it was posting on Instagram, today I did this, and now I made the sets, and now I'm scanning the sets, and now here's a little video of the process. Well, COVID didn't stop, so I, what was intended to just be a, 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 you know, just here's a little sample slice of the process. By the end, I had a fully orchestrated, my friend Cullen Vance did the music, his family <laughs> did the voices and the songs, That's uh, awesome. full color ride through as, I, as a rendered experience, but also we brought it into Unity and we exported it out as a VR experience. And if you, on the Oculus Quest, if you go into Oculus TV and you type in uh, Pumpkin Town, you can ride awesome. it. It's actually a VR version of it. That, that will be uh, what a... I do after we're done here. Because okay. you I freaking loved it. PJ's <laughs> avatar has another pill, like the third okay. pill. <laughs> <laughs> this is a family well, show. Okay, come on. <laughs> I'm sorry. So, so, so before I knew it, I had a full-on finished um, virtual ride. And uh, my friend, Cullen, who did the music, said... And I thought I was done because his job was pure <laughs> was purely to be a, a way to illustrate the design process. And then Cullen said, "Oh, every morning my son Brendan asks if he could ride Pumpkin Town a couple times in VR." 
And it hadn't dawned on me that the byproduct of this exercise could be a ride that someone yeah. would want to go on more than once. And uh, about the same time, as I was finishing that up, my friend um, Daniel Singer, who goes by Rover, um, he and I worked at Imagineering in the past, and he said, I really wish someone would recreate the 1958 version of the Alice in Wonderland ride from Disneyland, which has long since been updated. The original one is gone. And I said, well, Daniel, I'm not doing anything. <laughs> and I have a computer. And I thought, you know, I don't want to do this by myself. So Daniel, my friend um, Heidi Hirsch, and my friend Karen Thompson, both colorists I worked with at Disney, uh, we collaborated. And from the day we started talking about doing it to the day that you had a, a fully ride-through version of that attraction was two months with the original wow. soundtrack, with all the art recreated in color, all fully animated, uh, also available on the Oculus Quest, uh, awesome. Oculus TV. Just type in Alice 1958, and you can ride through that recreation. Cool. And I think for me, what what dawned on me was that as a theme park designer, any theme park designer, because of this, it takes five years or more for these attractions to get built and, and finished, that if, you're, if you have three attractions in your entire career that you're willing to say, I am proud of how this came out, Pumpkin Town was the fourth. <laughs> I felt That's as awesome. much pride for Pumpkin Town as I did for Splash Mountain, which took you know, four years of my life. And this other thing took me two months of my life. And I, yeah. it also became, it opened the door to this idea, um, in my, even in my own imagination, that one could have projects that have a much shorter lifespan in its design process, but an equal amount of, of, um, of emotional impact on the audience. And I was 150% responsible for the quality of the finished product, which a theme park right. probably has a thousand people who have a say. <laughs> And so you're lucky if the finished product is something that you can say, that's exactly what I intended it to be. <laughs> so, so that's it. Yeah. For anyone watching the video, we can't see it, but I, I hope you don't mind. But I took some of those characters and they're on the video overlay. So when you oh, go great. back and watch this, because I just like, I love what you just said about Halloween and like, I don't like the gore and stuff, but I love Halloween. Like I love the, mm -hmm. all the different, like, even if you call it kitty stuff, I don't know what you'd call it, but just the designs and the characters and things. And I was watching your video and you're like, yeah, I'm designing this. And, you know, I'm thinking about what this person does for a living, what kind of music <laughs> they listen to. And you just, it was so much depth where you're going to see that person for like probably 10 seconds on the ride. And you're like, that just blew my mind. Like, that is so awesome. Like you put that much like background into it and you can really tell and it shows. Um, well, and that's and that's what we're doing with the miniature golf stuff too. Is that yeah. each of us are infusing these choices with that kind of backstory, because it it's it, it it's not consciously recognized necessarily by the audience, but emotionally they go, "This is a lovely place. I like being here," or "I yeah. feel relaxed here." Well, that's that's the highest praise we could ask for. Yeah, and it's you know it's in VR games like there are some games where like. You just load the game up and sometimes I don't even leave the menu because the menu area is just so amazing. Like you can just sit in it for a while <laughs> mm -hmm. and your guys' courses are, you know, obviously it's part of the game, which is nice, but you just like being there because it's just yeah. tranquil. Yeah. Like, you know, just there's different fly around. times of just days. Yeah. Talk and fly. Yeah. 
And then you mentioned the Alice in Wonderland. That was another video I watched where um, I've never been on the original ride, obviously, but like there's a point where like, you know, Alice in Wonderland gets a little crazy and like it looked like it went upside down. And I was mm-hmm. just curious, like designing something for strictly VR where you kind of have no limits, because I'm sure that's got to be hard to do in real life on an actual, you know, theme park. <laughs> right. Um, do you find that your options and your imagination kind of get out of control and you have to rein it in because you really are limitless or does that not no. really come into play? Well- the absolute worst thing you can do to a creative person is tell them you can do anything you want. <laughs> That's the worst. Because <laughs> then you just completely you just freeze. <laughs> yeah. And it's, but if you, if you tell someone, I've got a 25, 20 foot uh, um, box and it's, I have the color orange and here's some Sharpies. Well, that's the best thing you can give them because then they can do anything within the context of that limitation. Mm-hmm. And uh, the limitation that applies to a show building for a theme park, you know, like, you know, you have to keep the audience safe. You've got to keep them in the vehicle. You want them to feel like they could touch stuff, but they can't touch stuff because that would be bad. <laughs> um, and, and also, you know, the, we know that the quest is, is not a full attack tethered um, PC that we're connected to. So we have very strict limitations as to what we can and cannot visually produce. Well, that's the best thing you could give us as creative people. (laughs) And we will push on that and try to see what we could get out of it while still holding on to the limitations of what the technology offers us today. That's awesome. Without making them barf. Without making them barf. (laughs) You can say the same thing about theme park rides. True. Yeah. Yeah. We've kind of had a similar conversation in the past. Wookie and I just like, we're big fans of Family Guy when it, you know, the early days. And um, before you could like say a lot of stuff on TV, like you had that creative limit where you had to like, you know, it made you funnier because you couldn't do or say these things and you could just hint. So the hint was funnier than actually just saying it. Yeah. 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 Kind exactly. of the, same right. the South Park exactly. episode came around where they said, you know, the poop word 150 <laughs> times. And it was just like, uh-huh. oh, the right. end of that episode, it was like, you know, I'm whatever, 25, 30 years old, and I don't want to swear anymore. It's not fun. Right. <laughs> they ruined it. <laughs> you ruined swearing. Poop. <laughs> uh, so... Out of all your experiences, because again, we'll have links to a lot of your stuff in the show notes so anyone watching, listening can look. Um, but on your website, you have a list of things you're into from art, digital art, concept art, theater, like it just goes on and on. So out of all of that so far, um, what's like your favorite medium to work in or, or participate in? Well, I'm an I'm a early adopter. So as soon as new technology comes out, I jump on it. So like I had the first, you know, the, the uh, Oculus um, DK and constantly, you know, constantly working along. And, and what fuels me is that anything that can help me visualize the pictures in my head the fastest. And if I can share that experience, I will, I will learn it. And so, you know, coming to Mighty Coconut was really, I, I, I came with, at least enough understanding of these tools that I could jump into a, a game making environment and produce the work that was necessary to support everybody else's job. Um, 
as I've gotten older, in fact, Heidi, who I mentioned before, who I play golf with a lot, we were talking, we're both in our uh, late 50s, early 60s. And she said, I realized that there's there's at least three phases in one's career, certainly in the career we were in. And one is when you're young and just out of college, it's all about uh, where I get to work. You know, I'm working at Imagineering. Uh, and then... Um, then it becomes less about where you work, but much more about the prestigiousness of what you get to work on. And um, and so it's like, well, I'm getting to work on Harry Potter, and that's really great, and I get to work with these people. And then later in your life, it's much more about who you get to work with. It doesn't matter where I work. doesn't matter what I'm, you know, uh, in what project I'm working on. If I get to work with genuinely wonderful people, that's a good life. And I think yeah. that... The, the, there's a fourth phase as you get older where you realize the act of doing it is enough. So the act of drawing, I draw now more than I was doing in the theme park world, um, despite the fact that I also jump into Gravity Sketch and build you know, models with Lucas and Henning uh, that become uh, uh, courses, but it's the, the act of doing it becomes the joy. And What's nice is that when you're enjoying that creative process, it's visible in the finished product, whether or not it's recognized or you know, consciously, they just go in and go, I like this. And this feels really good. And you can tell that the people who did this really loved it. And that's because we do. And, um, and we like each other and we praise each other. Uh, and it's very, very easy to be constantly surprised on a daily basis by what someone produces because it's so much better than you thought it could be. You know, <laughs> like, wow, that's really wonderful. Uh, we're animating characters now. We haven't done that before, except for a sheep or two. And uh, they're just beautiful. They're just amazing. Yeah. And the and um, uh, Craig, who is, is a sort of our Unity um, magician, really is doing things with shaders and you know, the way the Chocolate River r works is, is leaps beyond where the water was doing in the, the first courses. Um, it's, there's a level of love and attention and craft that make the process of making it uh, worth doing. Do you do any, um, like, freestyle, like, art in VR in any of the apps or anything like that? Or... Well, yeah, I'm always playing um, toys, basically. It's, ooh, I can do this. Uh, a, a fellow artist and I, um, we split and purchased a 3D printer. So um, nice. building stuff in Gravity Sketch and then printing it and having it physically in the world is just cool, you know? I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but it's cool. Um, so I do do that. I've never been a do art hanging on the wall and, wall and stand in front of it and say, look at the art I did. My art is much more uh, a means to an end, is communicating an idea that then will be handed to another person who will then make it a reality, will add themselves to it. Um, but now with VR, I can make that thing and we can meet inside of it and have a meeting yeah, you know, about it, <laughs> uh, as opposed to a drawing, which is here's my sketch of what I think it can be. And this sketch can lie a lot. <laughs> about <laughs> the dimensions and whether or not it's buildable and whether it's affordable. But when you're standing in a SketchUp model in VR, you're standing in front of the thing. And, uh, yeah. and that communicates not just to fellow creative people, it communicates to engineers and architects and fabricators as well.
Yeah. It's got to be so cool. Like, I've dabbled in art. I, I don't know. I've, I, I don't know. I don't draw very well. Wookie does, but... Uh, <laughs> you do, too. I, it's just got to be so cool to create something so elaborate and, and just see it realized. And actually, now you can hop in and VR and, like, it exists and you can walk around it and just oh. look at it from different angles. Like, it's, it's got to so be so amazing. <laughs> oh, it, it is it is a thousand times great and um well because in the theme park world you could spend three years of your life design a ride that opens in beijing but never be invited to ever go to beijing so here's this oh, no. thing you've built for years of your life and you will never actually see it but at mighty coconut we spend about about nine months you know from beginning to op to, to opening of a new course and it went from just i have this idea to meeting friends and playing inside the environment with amazing music and lighting and effects and animations that only took nine months. Um, yeah. You can't beat that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And anyone can go to it. <laughs> anyone in the world who has a headset uh, can go there and, uh, and participate. And the best of all is that, that not only did they get to play golf, but they got to get closer to each other. Yeah. And it's in mini golf, especially like it's always seems like a fun idea in the in real life. And then you get there and it's like either hot <laughs> or the course is just terrible or there's like kids everywhere. You know, there's an endless amount of Great issues with it coming up. So yes. you're like, well, all right, then you just start like hitting the ball. Like, let's get out of here. <laughs> yeah, or, yeah, it disintegrates faster than a Grand Theft Auto <laughs> PlayStation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whereas like. You have that same thought, like mini golf sounds really fun. And you can just hop in in VR and you don't get any of that. You just get all the good stuff. And it's like, that was awesome. <laughs> and you're done. Yeah. <laughs> well, and Lucas and Henning, who are really responsible for the design of each of the courses, when you think about it, they've made hundreds of them. And each course is filled with unique ways in which to experience putting a ball. I honestly do not know how they do it. And most of my I... job is to stand out of their way and just make make pretty things that support anything they want. Um, yeah. But uh, and they don't seem to be uh, a, a loss for new ideas or new courses that they could come up with. And that's what's so really that's what's amazing with the game because, like you said, you have like the normal mode, and then if you unlock, you can unlock the hard mode, and mm -hmm. it's the same holes, but they're like different and harder, and, and it's like how. <laughs> Yeah, you know, like with the labyrinth, that makes guys. sense to where you could make really crazy courses that no one's ever seen. But with the base game, you know, it's it's kind of like standard mini golf for the most part up until the DLC. <laughs> and you're like, how can you keep coming up with such interesting, like not mm -hmm. just venues, but like holes? <laughs> yeah, I don't, I do not know how they do it. I don't, and and also they will continue to polish it. So. At the beginning, we usually have a, we, we, it's gray boxing is the word for it, is where you have a very, very minimally textured version of it. And we'll have play tests where we play an entire chorus and I'll go, this is fine. And then it'll go through four more months of fine tuning. Um, and Henning will go through and, and adjust and adjust and adjust. And what, what was there that during that gray box phase may not look at all like what the finished product is because of that sort of loving attention to detail that he gives. Yeah. And and also every, a thousand percent of what we're doing is always in mind of what it's going to be like for the people playing it. How much sure. fun will it be? And will it be hard, but not too hard? And are we servicing the the Uber fans that, you know, want to really be challenged, but we don't want to alienate 
you know, your seven-year-old or your grandma who you also want to have a good time. Yeah. That's really neat. You can strike that balance with the game. That's the goal. And I, I play a lot of alphas and betas of games. We talked to a lot of devs and <clears throat> I had the same problem. It's like, I want to be helpful and I give comments and feedback that I can, but to me, it's like, this is awesome. And then they hand you one a month later, like, holy crap, this is 10 times better. This is freaking amazing. <laughs> like, I can never say anything too terrible about it. <laughs> and then I feel bad because they're like, why didn't you tell us about this? I'm like, ah. <laughs> I was just enjoying it. <laughs> yep. So I will, will be in a lot of trouble if I don't ask this question from, from the group I play the game a lot with. Okay. And then if you can't say anything, fine. And it's not about Labyrinth, so. Um. Okay, okay. Is the Bog of Eternal Stench going to be there? <laughs> <laughs> Am I going to hear Ludo talk? No. Um, <laughs> one of my favorite, like, areas in, in traditional games and other things, like underwater stuff. And there's a lot of people that have the same feeling, apparently. So are, are there any plans or hints at underwater courses or anything like that that you can say or no? Or... <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, two, two ways to describe that. One is back to our, our um, conversation about um, meet expectations and exceed them. When it comes to Labyrinth, without being specific about what is and isn't in there, our job is to transport you to the movie. So there's a lot of, of w things that people are going to expect to be there. Um, and we want to deliver that. And, but also, we want it to be a fun miniature golf experience and be playful with the, the IP and the characters. So um, the, uh, the same is true of what courses we're working on. And we have a very long list of things we cannot, work, cannot wait to start working on and, and a good <laughs> five or six that we are currently working on. and people are often giving us their top, you know, 50 things that they want to see um, <laughs> produced. And we are absolutely listening. We want to do those things too. And um, I think another thing that, that hopefully is, is really present when you see the new things that come out is that we, and Sweetopia was, I think, a really good example of it. We want to constantly surprise you by, I had no idea that was a place I could go. Or, yeah. or, or this thing I want, like as an example, is that so many people wanted a, a miniature golf course that had a windmill in it. So our answer to that was Coyote Valley. You know, let's let's just not give you a windmill. Let's give you a, the Miyazaki every wind, windmill we can think of version of it. And so all I can say is that is that we we are we are working on things to to delight our fan, our fan base lovers of miniature golf but and also fulfilling that same list that I think a lot of them have for the places they want to play in so that's a really good answer <laughs> <laughs> can you repeat the question though yeah. <laughs> well, the um, also uh, without saying anything, uh, coming in the next few weeks is another announcement, which I think is is um, going to be wonderful, and I, awesome. we are so excited about talking about uh, soon. Starship Troopers. <laughs> <laughs> so, All in the family, the miniature yeah. golf game. Yes. <laughs> Meathead. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
strangely, in a mini, and maybe not so strange, but one of my favorite parts of the game is after you've played a new course, um, mm -hmm. whether it was normal or hard, you all come back to the lobby at the end, and all the balls you found just come pouring <laughs> out onto the table, and you have this whole table like it's the coolest sound, and it's just like it's so exciting. I don't know why, but um, <laughs> you know, I've also been been joking around with again uh, your Twitter account. Um, you know, is there possibilities of um, special edition balls like a VR verdict ball or you know anything like that <laughs> <Game> or <laughs> luckily i'm not responsible for that part of our process so i can't say <laughs> all right i'll keep teasing on twitter <laughs> okay <laughs> um but yeah, we're almost right on an hour. Is there anything we didn't get to that you want to talk about before we well, well, go? Or? One of the things that's been looping next to us is how <laughs> much we use VR to make VR. And I think that's another <laughs> thing that I love about here is that although I'm traditionally drawing on pieces of paper uh, and our, our meetings are in VR using um, uh, Horizon Workrooms, uh, we use Gravity Sketch a lot. Uh, nice. uh, we will... Um, uh, Lucas and Henning and I will jump in there in, in collaboration mode, and we'll just start scribbling out the uh, the, the course. Uh, it's kind of amazing. It's a, it's a little like being one tentacle in a in a in an octopus. Uh, things awesome. are happening, and in about an hour and a half, all of a sudden, a very rough form of whatever course <laughs> we're designing is done in front of us. Enough for us to be able to to start iterating and figuring out what that design is, and that's a that's a, unlike any experience I've ever had as, as a designer um, before. Yeah. Uh, and then it's a back and forth between the virtual stuff and then we use Blender a lot as a company. And then it goes into Unity. And this back and forth between seeing it on paper, seeing it in VR, seeing it in, on the computer screen and seeing it once again back in VR is this, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's unlike anything I've ever done before. Um, and what's interesting too is that if you were to go to Gravity Sketch's website, you would think that the way they promote themselves, they do race cars and sneakers as their, as <laughs> a lot of you know what they they want you to use your tool to to uh, to create. I don't think necessarily they had in mind that you know giant miniature golf courses were going to be designed in the same process, <laughs> same product. But um, I love that, and I think we're going to see more and more of that. Um, and if you haven't had a chance to play uh, Horizon Worlds as far as a, a as a as a way to sketch out ideas and share that experience, I think it's another. We don't we can't use that for our work, but I have lots of friends that I just hang out for fun and we just make stuff uh, for the yeah. act of making it together. It's got to be like the coolest version of you know how someone draws a line and the next person continues off yeah. of that. Where you're all That's just exactly like it. blowing it up. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, yeah. I, I think when you're super, super young, you have this idea that my idea and I will implement it. And then the finished product will be 100% what I wanted it to be. And as you get older, you realize that actually the serendipity and the magic of collaboration, allowing other people to have a piece of that process means that you can have the same amount of pride like I didn't work hardly at all in Coyote Valley, but when it came out, I was bursting with pride for my for my company, for the people yeah. I get to work with. At what a fabulous job they did, 
And I feel that way about everything that's come since the DLCs and the the many things that are coming soon and into the future. I just am so happy for us, for what we get to work on, um, how polished we get to, to make it. And then we're rewarded by people saying, thank you. And my dad and I get to spend quality time together, yeah. even though he lives 600 miles away. That's yeah, pretty epic. Yeah. Like, yeah, I, I thank you guys for the game because, you know, Wookie and I haven't played it yet, but, you know, I play with the other podcasts and a couple other people. And it's just, we've never had a bad time on there. Like, yeah, even before, like, all the DLC came out and we played most of the holes, like, a lot. Never mm -hmm. had a bad time. It was always enjoyable. It's just fun to hang out and relax and talk, like you said. Um, yep. So it's just a great environment for all that. That's and wonderful. For listeners that haven't played it, like me, even if you own a different mini golf game and you're thinking, do you need two? <laughs> like that's why I didn't jump into it for the longest time. I'm like, hey, he won't shut up about this walk about mini golf, but we stopped playing the other one that I bought. But I bought right. that one. <laughs> but apparently there's play. something super special about this one. You should buy well, it. <laughs> yeah, you should give it a try. Also, you don't need if you own the DLCs, you don't need to buy them because you can be his yeah. guest guest. And so so make oh. the make the foundation investment, but then <laughs> your brother can can gift you the fancy <laughs> new stuff. The joy cool. of sweet sweetness. Sweetopia. You can <laughs> go look for that so dead body at Sweetopia. Yeah. yeah. I'll go find him. Yeah, Ask him I do. If he's okay. Yeah. <laughs> Gonna get I, better, everybody. As a gamer, I honestly appreciate the other things you guys do. Like you have cross buy crossplay yeah. so you buy it once you have it um you know on the same platforms um i just love those little things because you know mm -hmm. even some of the bigger studios that should be doing things like that aren't and a lot of the little people and smaller dev teams are doing all mm -hmm. the, the the right things so i yeah. always appreciate that yeah and it, when there's things are like other more genuine in the experience and you take down some of those barriers so you can just get in the game and have fun with your friends like i'll go buy all the dlc just to support the company that's like doing things just because they're cool you know yeah i, I don't know well, if that anybody, was, everybody's like there was no guarantee that the dlcs would be would be something that someone would want to pay extra once they don't they purchase the game yeah. but what we found is that people are like take my money just take it mm -hmm. <laughs> you know it's not very much money and if i if i think that it's supporting and letting mm -hmm. you guys do do more of this then i'm willing to pay it and i can definitely yep. tell you that, that that dlc money is what is fueling the future so every single penny counts and and it gives us permission to think bigger and better for every course that yeah. we produce yeah paying for quality products isn't shouldn't be a problem that some people yeah. just you know they, they throw money in microtransactions like throw a little bit of money at stuff that actually is you know yeah. worth it there was uh, one other quick story that um i have a couple guys at work i got them into vr and this was one of the first games they got so we play once in a while uh -huh. and um we we're kind of we heard the you know the the avatar, you guys redid the avatar system and added hats and stuff. Mm -hmm. And a, a funny joke was 
one of the guys is like, I need a, a pinwheel hat that has a propeller on it that, you know, I can wear because I just think that'd be funny. Uh, and it came out and you guys included one. But the funny right. thing is I didn't know it because I never saw it because I went to, I think, one hat and then I never thought about changing my hat. Uh-huh. So they're like, can you can you talk to them about adding that? And I came in, I went to check out the the sweet course and like two days ago because I hadn't got to play it yet. And I'm like, son of a bitch, the hat's in there. I'm like, <laughs> it made me laugh so hard. And then the next day at work, I'm like, you'll never, you'll never um, guess what happened last night. Like, there's a hat in there. Who I <laughs> talked to. <laughs> so, and I'm already like piping the game out to other people too because again, I haven't played it. But a guy at work, um, I was telling him about the. The update you have coming out with the old, you know, like 80s movie stuff. And he's just a nut for that kind of thing. And he's like, uh-huh. what's it called? I'm like, well, it was Oculus. <laughs> now it's meta, but there's a quest too. You need a Facebook account. He's like, I don't want to do that. And I'm like, it's probably <laughs> worth it. And he's like, but it's really going to have those? Like, you just, yeah. Like, he's <laughs> he never, never cared about it before, but he's like trying to learn the terms. He's like, Oculus? I'm like, I'm sorry I said that. Now it's meta. And he's like, right, it's it meta. It. And I'm like, yeah, Quest I just two. sent him a link. Here, yeah. Here's the Amazon link. Buy this thing. Here's trust me. There's a link to the game here. Like, this, here's a how, here's the game. how to set it up. Yeah. Right. But yeah. He, he's yeah. going to probably start asking me about it on the regular. Like, what is it called again? Mm-hmm. <laughs> What's that thing? Yes. Yeah. Well, well once, once they have the experience, uh, it sells itself. But it's just getting them yeah. in there the first time. It's the, one, it's yeah. the people that say, oh, I just know I'll be sick. Like, but but have you know? I mean, really? I mean, yes, the early the, the early versions they could easily make you sick, but they kind of figured this out. Oh mm-hmm. no, I'll get sick. Uh, but then they do it and they go, "Oh my gosh, I, I had no idea." Yeah, yeah, it'll happen. And you know, pandemic aside, it was so easy to put a headset on someone, just shut up and do this. Just put this and then on. That happened, and then it's like, ah, now how do I? You know. Videos don't yeah. do it justice, and I can't explain it well enough. But. It's exactly right. <laughs> well, even even our setting here is, you know, even with our 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 ping pong heads, <laughs> it's just a wonderful place to be to just chat in, and uh, yeah. it makes all the difference. This would not be the same on a Zoom call. Yeah. And we used to just record on you know Discord with audio chat. We went to VR, and it's like just you know head nods or you know just you. you it just makes it work. It does. So much better. Yeah, I agree completely. Oh. Well, Don, I thank you so much for your time there. There's, Thanks. If you ever want to come back, I still have other things to talk about and okay. ask questions, but hopefully we'll, <laughs> we'll have you guys back with, with some Labyrinth um, show and tells and all that fun stuff. But um, We'd love that. Thank you love so much that. for your time. Thanks thank for you having for, me. What you do, your art is great. Like, again, the instant I open your webpage, I'm like, I like this guy. Like, I just love <laughs> your art. I'm like, you sent me a link so, to it, and I was like, I'm going to read all of this. <laughs> cool. Yeah. 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 I, I started a Patreon page mostly because I wanted to create an environment to talk about this. So I do a lot of posting to that. Um, and the only reason I used Patreon was it was a way in which people who were participating in it really wanted to participate in the conversation. And ironically, nobody talks about anything. 
<laughs> but there's a whole lot of co there's a whole like please ask me anything i will talk about anything nothing so i just continue to add to that too so there's a whole lot of additional sort of you know certainly theme park disney that stuff but a lot about the kind of stuff i'm doing now and a lot of talk about process which is my favorite thing is how to do right. it and and how you go right. about building things I'm that's amazing because because i like i said i'm i all the stuff seems like you know common sense to me, but it's also I don't know how to you know I don't have experience doing all this stuff. But if I go, uh oh, <laughs> oh dear, he'll be, he'll be back. He'll be back. Yeah. Um. But yeah, with the with the what was it the township ride, the pumpkin township ride. Uh huh. Mm hmm. Um, you were talking about like doing the cork board and stuff, and it looked like you had like a paper model of what you were like kind of yeah. scanning. Like, yeah, I would just love to have that sitting on a shelf. That's how cool that stuff looks to me. Like, it's just neat. So <laughs> it's it's just pinned to my wall because I don't have any <laughs> table space for it. <laughs> that's awesome. But uh, but that's the fun part. I mean, it the scribbling on a piece of paper with hot glue and stuff. That's the way to design stuff. And then yeah. once all that stuff is figured out, then bring it into the computer and then you can, you can make it something you can experience. <laughs> Mid Welcome back. Hey, this is my imitation of Wookiee. And then, <laughs> and then, but like, I will just ping people about your, your... uh oh, are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Wookiee, no. <laughs> Oh, how embarrassing. <laughs> That's all right. It happens to the best of us. <laughs> but um, well, yeah, if you got to take off, we can we can have him email you his questions. Okay, that's fine. Yeah, please feel free at any time to contact me. I'm available and my email address is on my website too, if anybody listening nice. in has any questions. Because uh, I'm, I'm more than happy to geek out on process, which excites me. Awesome. Yeah. yeah, and that's what Wookiees was talking about, because that's what he's into, and all the, you know, very similar mindset it seems from what you have. So I'm sure you'll be hearing from him at least on your Patreon. Well, that's great. <laughs> well, I do so. a lot of um, lecturing with uh, with students uh, who are in the themed entertainment business, and I think nice. that part of you know, being older too, is that your job is to give back. And I think probably the thing that the greatest gift someone can give back is permission to, I believe you can do this. Let me point you to tools that will help make it easy. And also say, I believe that you'll figure them out and you'll do a great <laughs> job. And nice. uh, yeah, especially great. artists have a difficult time finding people in their lives that aren't worried that they're going to starve to death if they don't become a you know a doctor or a lawyer uh yeah. but no you can make a decent living making pretty places and having a good time doing it that's really nice because yeah i mean everyone needs role models and proof that you can do it and you can do yeah, it a lot of professions especially in the entertainment and art don't get that <laughs> yeah <laughs> so i'm glad glad you're giving back yeah, it's it's that's what I'm supposed to do now. Okay, you're banned from talking, Wookie. You can ask a question later. <laughs> I mean, my router sucks. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, just don't move around as much. That could be setting it up. Yeah, there you go. 
Mm. You're still here. <laughs> I'm <mean, laughs> taking taking root. All right. Well, well, excellent. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Thanks again yeah. for your time. Anytime. And been a pleasure. Good work. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And uh, and Wookie, feel free to contact me outside of this if you have any questions that were missed. Uh, I'm available. I'll write a book and send it in okay. an email. <laughs> uh, I'll reply to it with another book. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll see you guys. And thanks again. Thanks. Thank yep. you. Well, everyone, thanks for hanging out and listening and watching. Um, again, the links will be in the show notes, both the audio and video versions. Check out his art at least, but even some of the videos and the speeches of his I caught, super interesting you know, just a lifetime of knowledge in the area and all kinds of yeah. mediums. So it's just crazy. Very inspiring just to pick yeah. his brain. Um, hopefully we'll have him back and maybe uh, show off some labyrinth stuff in, in our space. Maybe we'll see how that goes. But, uh, you know, if you want to see a, a VR verdict ball in the game, you know, There'll be a link there to sign that petition. <laughs> what if we just put, make them in, like, I don't think I'll have the grabbable stinking stuff, but we can just decorate the whole place with VR Verdict ping pong ball or uh, elf balls. Or we'll just have VR Verdict ping pong balls up here. Everything's VR Verdict. We'll balls. ask them straight up, can we get this in the game? And if they say no, we'll just rain balls on them. <laughs> just until they Out say yes. nowhere, one will just bounce off their head like... <laughs> Apparently it was the wrong answer. <laughs> but, oh, but he seems like a good guy. Yeah, he's he's awesome. Um, so yeah, give those guys feedback at Mighty Coconut um, Walkabout Mini Golf. If you haven't played it, play it. It's fun. It, like I said, there's all kinds of stuff to do while you're not taking your swing, while there's other people playing. It's just so much to do and see, and it's just a good time. And if you ever need people to play with, hit us up. I'll jump in and do around anytime. So my router stays connected. I will try to join. <laughs> but again, thanks for hanging out and listening. Catch you next time. Avoid the bog of eternal stench. Judo smell. <laughs> <laughs>